0: So this is not a passage that is often preached on <laughs> in churches, um, rarely rarely read in churches. Usually you skip over this, and then right after um, verse 17, it's like, Joseph, hey, and Joseph was a carpenter, um, and kind of getting back to the nice, the nice stories, but all these <laughs> names start off, in, in Matthew's the first gospel of the New Testament, it's the first book of the New Testament. So if you ever start reading, you're like, I'm going to read the entire New Testament. And you get to verse one. It's like, whoa, there's a lot of names. Um, genealogies are funny. You know, I have my, my grandmother was really into genealogy. Um, and she studied a lot. And back in the, in the 80s and early 90s, you had to travel a lot to do genealogy. There was nothing online. And so uh, but nowadays, you can like type in a web address and you get all of the, the census records going back to the start of the United States or you get like all the Ellis Island immigration records and then you have to like go to Ellis Island and like look through the files or maybe if you were lucky there was a facsimile of all of these to find the names and track the names track the stories that your parents told you about to get back into your history I think there's a point in life in a lot of people's life where they're like huh, I wonder where I come from and they want to look to and find those names but genealogies as well if if you don't think it's that important can seem kind of boring of uh, pretty pretty irrelevant like what are all those names have to do with it especially if you look at someone else's genealogy like your own story you have you have the stories of the names you have the histories of those names but if you look at another person's family tree like none of those names have any connection to you and so you're like gosh wow that took a lot of work interesting um, or something like that, you know, trying to be nice when, when they show you like all the way. Like it took me 10 years to put this together. It's like, I can see that. <laughs> but it starts with, with this genealogy. The gospels start with this genealogy. And it does for a lot of reasons. The, I mean, one of the, the most prominent and, and primary one is that uh, the story of Jesus does not begin from scratch in zero. There we go. That's, that's Amos. That's good. Um, but it doesn't begin from scratch. It doesn't, God didn't just like snap his fingers and suddenly the story begins. The story goes back. It's part of this long narrative of God's relationship with humans, with relationship with creation. The genealogy of Jesus is not super interesting at first glance. Thank you so much, Ray, for going through that. I'm sorry you did not realize you were doing this today. <laughs> it was one of those readings, like, gosh, I hope he prepares ahead of time. <laughs> but all of, those, all of those names matter. They, they matter in a concrete name, way. As a way that each of us exists in a concrete history. Now, our past, the names in our genealogy, the names of our history, does not determine our future, but it affects it. It impacts it. It impacts who we are and what we think, especially this time of year. The traditions that our family handed down to us, the ways we see holidays, the ways we see visiting with family. We, we're impacted in ways we don't even understand sometimes. But yes, we have this, this nice long genealogy, and a lot of these names, many of these names... Before this week, I had no idea who they were. Um, some of them are pretty easy. Isaac is kind of popular. Boaz, Ruth, David, the kind of, the kind of big, big few. Um, a few ones I wanted to look through just just to how, like, how their story fitted. Nasham, um, Nasham is an interesting one. Very interesting, obviously, Nasham. Um, <laughs> is one of those names, a lot of these names aren't names necessarily I would name my children, but they're interesting. Um, Nashin was the head of the tribe of Judah during um, the time of the Exodus. He was actually uh, Aaron's father in law. And so he led during the Exodus. And this is one of those interesting things. And so Nashin was the father of Salmon, or Salmon, like the fish, the guy who went against, went against the, the current, went against the stream of. Thank you. Uh, but Salmon. Salman was the husband of Rahab from the story of Joshua and like taking over, um, taking over the city. And so Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law, which I think would have been a really interesting um, Christmas dinner if they had Christmas back then. But that's all right. Thank you, J.D. <laughs> Me and J.D. got this. We have this nice connection. Then another one was Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph and would go through this long streak in the, the 14 names in the middle. And Abijah was the fourth king of the Davidic line in the southern kingdom. And um, he, had a, you know, he had a long life. He had a long history. The name represents something. The point is not that you need, the names are separate from history, but they are part of it. Zerubbabel, my favorite name. Zerubbabel. Near the end, Zerubbabel. I just want to say that again and again. Zerubbabel. <laughs> Zerubbabel was, uh, was the leader during, during the exile, he was actually named by Cyrus the Great to be a governor. And he led the Hebrew people from exile back to the Holy Land. And he began the rebuilding of the temple, a phenomenally important figure in the history of Israel. And yet we have this, we have this whole line and there's, there's power in this line. There's power in the story that they are telling And it feeds, though, directly to what the prophet Isaiah was saying in Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Because when you go through all these names, most of those names lived during a time of darkness. Not technological darkness, but but captivity, slavery, exile. Captivity again. Times when they felt like God was far away when all they knew was hurt and pain, where what had been promised to them was taken away. They were a people who walked in darkness. And yet still they tilled the soil. Still, they married and had children. And they lived, even though it looked so bleak, they believed in the promise of God, that even though they were walking in darkness, that one day there would be a great light. And not darkness is kind of like this ephemeral, moody sadness, but like concrete acts of evil, of, of slavery, of, of banishment, of being taken. One day you're in your home, the next day you were sent on a caravan 300 miles to the east to serve a people you don't know in a language you cannot speak. And then when you get back, you're like, "Yeah, I'm finally, we're finally back home." And then the Seleucids come and take you over again. It's like, "Gosh, we've got another ruler over us." And that happens again and again and again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. God's plan took place through the children of Abraham in a concrete way, through these names here that are hard pronounced and these names they're not even they're not even the hebrew names they're the greek version of hebrew names (laughs) yeah so um you know and you can kind of you can get at what they were originally but it's still it's not even that and so it's like an english translation of a greek translation of a hebrew word um that's what a lot of the new testament is for us but that's that's what we have these concrete names these people who had families who laughed and cried, who were tired and happy and joyful in all of the realm of emotions that we can see, who had tragedies in their life, who had grief in their life, who had hope in their life. God's plan took place through these names. The birth of Jesus is not a lucky occurrence. It wasn't just happenstance like, oh, hey, what about that girl? That'll be cool. <laughs> it, it came through, through this breadth of history. Of God revealing God's self more and more to us. Of God seeing the darkness of this world and the brokenness. And being like, this cannot be the final thing going on. It's the culmination of all creation. Found at Christmas. That is the advent that we celebrate It's not that like, yay, we we got a tree. It's that God from the beginning saw that we needed help. And the plan continued through generation to generation, but it does not end there. So I often talk about how there's two Advents. There's the the first Advent, the Advent of the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. There's the second Advent. And if you were able to join us last week during the cantata, we were able to play like musically. It was so, so brilliantly. Um, Tyler and Vicky were able to illustrate the, um, the second Advent of the coming of Jesus again. But there's a third Advent. And it's, in some ways, it's, it's more daunting because the third Advent has to do with each of us. It has to do with the way that God may use you to enter this world. That God may, may choose you to bring mercy into this world, to bring love into this world, that you may be a vessel of grace in this season and any season. how, How Mary received God was by saying yes to God. The angel came to her and she was afraid, but she did not run away. She said yes to God. And in many miraculous, beautiful ways, God has come to each of you this day. You are here. It is true. God has somehow, in your history, in the names, in the past, in all of the genealogies of your your family and whatever has happened, God has brought you here this day. Now our past does not define us. It does not determine us. But it shapes us and God uses that. God has brought you. God has been with you. And God offers this opportunity for you to be a vessel of goodness in this world. To say, yes, to God and to bring forth God's grace into this world. That's the third advent. And sometimes, in some ways, that can be the scariest one, that God may use me, even me, to show love in this world. I know I try to be good. I try to do the things that I should do. I try to not be rude. I try not to cut people off in traffic and those kind of things. And you know, It's really hard in Austin to not cut people off because there's a lot of people who deserve to be cut off. But I'm trying, Lord. And yet, even still, you, even you, God is calling to bring grace forth into this world. Your name matters. Your story matters to God. In a list of all the lists of all the names that have happened, yours is important. Yours is important to God's story in this place today. You matter to God. Your name is worth saying and repeating. And as you go, as we get closer to Christmas, as we get closer to the new year and we think about like, oh, what is the new year going to bring and all these things that you may be able to accomplish and may be able to do, remember that the greatest thing that you can do is offer love in this world. And not the kind of love that you have on your list or your, or your resolutions, but the kind of love that is, is spontaneous and grace-filled and a miracle and you could not explain beyond the fact that you are loved. The love that emerges from that reality. That emerges that may, for, for other people, look just like a name on a page, maybe a hard-to-pronounce name on a page. But you realize that that name is God's love for you. That your name may not be Zerubbabel or Abijah, but you are still marked down as important, as worthy, as an offering to others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.